Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. A guide to Islam, true peace. True and complete peace can only be had when the individuals themselves achieve internal peace. This results from Islam or the true submission to Allah alone. The light and guidance from Allah is the path to true peace. Allah glorified be He says in the Quran in the meaning of which indeed there has come to you from Allah a light and a clear book wherewith Allah guides all those who seek His good pleasure to ways of peace and he brings them out of darkness by his will unto light and guides them to a straight path or a straight way quran chapter 5 verses 15 and 16. in fact allah is calling humans to the abode of eternal peace allah calls to the home of peace, paradise, and guides whom he wills to a straight path. Quran chapter 10 verse 25 True and complete peace can only be had when the individuals themselves achieve internal peace. This results from Islam or the true submission to Allah alone. This is the only way of life consistent with the nature of human beings. In fact, this is what can be called the true life. Thus Allah says in the Quran in the meaning of which, O you who believe, answer Allah by obeying him and his messenger when he calls you to that which will give you life. Quran chapter 8 verse 24. Knowing Allah is what can bring about true contentment in the soul. If the individual doesn't know his creator, his soul will always be yearning for something that is missing in his life. Unless there is contentment in the soul and the heart, the individual can never, never achieve true contentment and peace. All of the wealth and the goods of this world will not be able to bring the human such true contentment and peace. The Prophet, may the blessings and peace be upon him, said, True richness is not via much property and belongings, but true richness is in self-contentment. Recorded by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. He Prophet Muhammad, may the blessings and peace be upon him, also said, True richness is the richness of the heart. True poverty is a poverty of the heart. Recorded by Ibn Hibban, according to Al-Albani, it is authentic Sahih. This is found in Sahih Al-Jami' Al-Saghir. Once an individual is at peace with himself and free of any internal agitations, he can then enter into true peaceful relations with others. 
This starts with those closest to him or her in his or her family and extends to his or her neighbors and others in the community, eventually extending to all of the humankind as a whole. Thus, Islam establishes an entire social structure in which people interact with others based on relationships, rights, and obligations in ways that bring about a peaceful coexistence. Children recognize the rights of their parents upon them, while parents recognize their roles towards their children. Husbands and wives come together not as competitors, but as partners cooperating to produce a home filled with peace and love. Indeed, Allah points to this relationship that he has created as a great sign. Allah says in the Quran, in the meaning of which, and among his signs is this, that he created for you wives from among yourselves, that you may find repose in them. And he has put between you affection and mercy. Verily, and that are indeed signs for a people who reflect. Quran chapter 30 verse 21. Thus, Allah has laid down stringent laws that protect the sanctity of the home, such as the laws concerning adultery, fornication, and slander. The reason is that the home is truly the foundation for the society as a whole. If there is no peace in the home, one can hardly expect that people will exit their home in a troubled state and be peaceful, fulfilling members of society. Again, if there is no peace in the home, one can hardly expect that people will exit their home in a troubled state and be peaceful, fulfilling members of society. Since the guidance of Islam covers not only what is traditionally known as law, but also ethical behavior and conduct, Again, since the guidance of Islam covers not only what is traditionally known as law, but also ethical behavior and conduct, Islam provides detailed guidance for the manner in which members of a society should interact with one another. There is a great emphasis on mutual respect with each member of society, realizing that he is part of a larger unity uh, entailing rights and obligations. This mutual feeling produces a society that is filled with peace wherein each individual looks after the welfare and need or needs of the other members of society. Thus, when Islam is enacted, when Islam is enacted and applied, the individual finds peace all around him or her, from within himself or herself, and throughout the entire society. In fact, even world peace can only true, can only true come, can only truly come about uh, when there is justice. In fact, even world peace can only truly come about when there is justice. In recent years, more and more people have realized this fact and emphasize there is no peace without justice. 
Justice is often a slogan used when going to war, but it is usually not more than that a slogan. But there can be no true justice or peace until and unless people raise themselves above national or ethnic, economic, or political interest. True justice can only occur when people dedicate themselves to Allah, applying His guidance while removing their egos and desires from their decisions. In the hereafter, of course, it will only be through believing in God, Allah, and following His guidance that one will achieve eternal peace. Again, Allah makes it very clear that this is what He is actually calling calling the humans to. Again, Allah makes it very clear that this is what He is actually calling humans to. Allah calls to the home of peace, paradise, and guides whom He wills to a straight path. Quran chapter 10 verse 25. So Allah is calling you to get to paradise and achieve the eternal peace. Go for it. Take care. Salam. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Sanctity of life in Islam. Islam considers all life forms as sacred. However, the sanctity of a human life is accorded a special place. The first and the foremost basic right of a human being is the right to live. One of the distinctive characteristics of the times we live in is the overwhelming presence of violence in our societies. Whether it is a bomb going off in a marketplace or the hijacking of an aircraft where innocent people are held at ransom to achieve political ends, we live in an age where the manipulation and loss of innocent lives has become commonplace. Such is the all-pervasive nature of indiscriminate violence that terrorism is considered as one of the prime threats to peace and security in our societies. The word terrorism came into wide usage only a few decades ago. One of the unfortunate results of this new terminology is that it limits the definition of terrorism to that perpetrated by small groups or individuals. Terrorism, in fact, spans the entire world and manifests itself in various forms. Its perpetrators do not fit any stereotype. Those who hold human lives cheap and have the power to expend human lives appear at different levels in our societies. The frustrated employee who kills his colleagues in cold blood or the oppressed citizen of an occupied land who vents his anger by blowing up a school bus are terrorists who provoke our anger and revulsion. Ironically, however, the politician who uses age-old ethnic animosities between peoples to consolidate his position 
the head of state who orders carpet bombing of entire cities, the exalted councils that choke millions of civilians to death by wielding the insidious weapon of sanctions, are rarely punished for their crimes against humanity. It is this narrow definition of terrorism that implicates only individuals and groups that has caused Muslims to be associated with acts of destruction and terror, and as a result, to become victims of hate, violence, and terror themselves. Sometimes the religion of Islam is held responsible for the acts of a handful uh, of Muslims and often for the acts of non-Muslims. Could it be possible that Islam, whose light ended the dark ages in Europe, now propound the advent of an age of terror? Could a faith that has over 1.4 billion followers the world over and over 7 million in America actually advocate the killing and maiming of innocent people? Could Islam, whose name itself stands for peace and submission to God, encourage its adherence, encourage its adherence to work for death and destruction? For too long have we relied on popular images in the media and in Hollywood films for answers to these pertinent questions. It is now time to look at the sources of Islam and its history to determine whether Islam does indeed advocate violence. Sanctity of human life. Sanctity of human life in the glorious Quran. The glorious Quran says, Take not life which God hath made sacred, except by way of justice and law. Thus doth he command you that you may learn wisdom. Al-Qur'an, chapter 6, verse 151. Islam considers all life forms as sacred. However, the sanctity of human life is accorded a special place. The first and the foremost basic right of a human being is the right to live. The the Qur'an, or the glorious Qur'an, says, If anyone slew a person, meaning if anyone killed a person, Unless it be for murder or for spreading mischief in the land, it would be as if he slew or killed the whole people. And if any one saved a life, it would be as if he saved the life of the whole people. Al-Quran chapter 5 verse 32 Such is the value of a single human life that the Qur'an equates the taking of even one human life unjustly with killing all of humanity. Thus, the Qur'an prohibits homicide in clear terms. The taking of a criminal's life by the state in order to administer justice is required to uphold the rule of law and the peace and security of the society. Only 
A proper and competent court can decide whether an individual has forfeited his right to live or to life by disregarding the right to life and peace of other human beings. Again, I will repeat this, only a proper and competent court can decide whether an individual has forfeited his right to life by disregarding the right to life and peace of other human beings. Ethics of war. Even in a state of war, Islam enjoins that one deals with the enemy nobly on the battlefield. Islam has drawn a clear line of distinction between the combatants and the or the non-combatants of the enemy country. As far as the non-combatant population is concerned, such as women, children, the old and the infirm, etc., the instructions of the Prophet are as follows, and they are very clear. Do not kill any old person, any child or any woman. Do not kill the monks in monasteries, or do not kill the people who are sitting in places of worship. During a war, the Prophet saw the corpse of a woman lying on the ground and observed, and he said, She was not fighting. How then she came to be killed? Thus, non-combatants are guaranteed security of life, even if, if their state is at war with an Islamic state. Misconceptions about the word jihad. While Islam in general is misunderstood in the Western world, perhaps no other Islamic term evokes such strong reactions as the word jihad. The term jihad has been much abused to conjure up bizarre images of violent Muslims forcing people to submit at the point of the sword. This is how it is portrayed. This myth was perpetuated throughout the centuries of mistrust during and after the Crusades. Unfortunately, it survives to this day, this image. The word jihad comes from the root word jahada, which means to struggle. So jihad is literally an act of struggling or striving. The Prophet Muhammad, may the blessing and peace be upon him, said that the greatest jihad or the greatest struggle or strife is to struggle with the insidious suggestions of one's own soul. Thus, jihad primarily refers to the inner struggle of being a person of virtue and submission to God in all aspects of life. Secondly, jihad it refers to struggle against injustice. Islam, like many other religions, allows for armed self-defense or retribution against tyranny, exploitation, and oppression. The glorious Quran says, And why should you not fight in the cause of God and of those who, being weak, are ill-treated and oppressed? Men, women, and children, whose cry is, Our Lord, rescue us from this town, whose people are oppressors, and raise for us from thee 
one who will protect and raise for us from thee, one who will help. The Quran chapter 4 verse 75. Thus Islam enjoins upon its believers to strive utmost in purifying themselves as well as in establishing peace and justice in their society. As a Muslim, uh, sorry, a Muslim, a Muslim can never be at rest when she uh, or he sees injustice and oppression around her or around him. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Islam enjoins upon all Muslims to work actively to maintain the balance in which God created everything. However, regardless of how legitimate the cause may be, the glorious Quran never condones the killing of innocent people. Terrorizing the civilian population can never be termed as jihad and can never be reconciled with the teachings of Islam. History of Tolerance Even Western scholars have repudiated, have repudiated the myth of Muslims coercing others to convert. Again, even Western scholars have repudiated the myth of Muslims coercing or forcing others to convert. The great historian Dilassi O'Leary wrote, History makes it clear, however, that the legend of fanatical Muslims sweeping through the world and forcing Islam at the point of sword upon conquered races is one of the most fantastically absurd myths that historians have ever repeated. Muslims ruled Spain for roughly 800 years. During this time and up until they were finally forced out, the non-Muslims there were alive and flourishing. Additionally, Christian and Jewish minorities had survived in the Muslim lands of the Middle East for centuries. Additionally, Christian and Jewish minorities have survived in the Muslim lands for the, uh, of the Middle East for centuries. Countries such as Egypt, Morocco, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan all have significant Christian and or Jewish populations. This is not surprising to a Muslim, for his faith prohibits him from forcing others to, th- to see his point of view. The glorious Quran says, Let there be no compulsion in religion. Let there be no compulsion in religion. Truth stands out clear from error. Whoever rejects evil and believes in God hath grasped the most trustworthy handhold that never breaks. And God heareth and knoweth all things. Al-Quran chapter 2 verse 256. Islam, the great unifier, the great unifier. Far from being a militant dogma, Islam is a way of life that transcends race and ethnicity. The glorious Quran repeatedly reminds us of our common origin. O mankind, we created you from a single pair of a male and a female, and made you into nations and tribes that you may know each other, 
not that you may despise each other. Verily, the most honored of you in the sight of God is he who is the most righteous of you. And God has full knowledge and is well acquainted with all things. Al-Quran chapter 49 verse 13. Thus it is the universality, thus it is the universality of its teachings and that makes Islam uh, the fastest growing religion in the world. So it is the universality of its teachings that makes Islam the fastest growing, growing religion in the world. In a world full of conflicts and deep schisms between human beings, a world that is threatened by terrorism, perpetrated by individuals and states, Islam is a beacon of light that offers hope for the future for all. Alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah. You may refer to this book or other books in guidetoislam.com. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Sanctity of life in Islam. Islam considers all life forms as sacred. However, the sanctity of a human life is accorded a special place. The first and the foremost basic right of a human being is the right to live. One of the distinctive characteristics of the times we live in is the overwhelming presence of violence in our societies. Whether it is a bomb going off in a marketplace or the hijacking of an aircraft where innocent people are held at ransom to achieve political ends, we live in an age where the manipulation and loss of innocent lives has become commonplace. Such is the all-pervasive nature of indiscriminate violence that terrorism is considered as one of the prime threats to peace and security in our societies. The word terrorism came into wide usage only a few decades ago. One of the unfortunate results of this new terminology is that it limits the definition of terrorism to that perpetrated by small groups or individuals. Terrorism, in fact, spans the entire world and manifests itself in various forms. Its perpetrators do not fit any stereotype. Those who hold human lives cheap and have the power to expend human lives appear at different levels in our societies. The frustrated employee who kills his colleagues in cold blood or the oppressed citizen of an occupied land who vents his anger by blowing up a school bus are terrorists who provoke our anger and revulsion. Ironically, however, the politician who uses age-old ethnic animosities between peoples to consolidate his position, the head of state who orders carpet bombing of entire cities, the exalted councils that choke millions of civilians to death by wielding the 
insidious weapon of sanctions are rarely punished for their crimes against humanity. It is this narrow definition of terrorism that implicates only individuals and groups that has caused Muslims to be associated with acts of destruction and terror, and as a result, to become victims of hate, violence, and terror themselves. Sometimes the religion of Islam is held responsible for the acts of a handful uh, of Muslims and often for the acts of non-Muslims. Could it be possible that Islam, whose light ended the dark ages in Europe, now propound the advent of an age of terror? Could a faith that has over 1.4 billion followers the world over and over 7 million in America actually advocate the killing and maiming of innocent people? Could Islam, whose name itself stands for peace and submission to God, encourage its adherents, encourage its adherents to work for death and destruction? For too long have we relied on popular images in the media and in Hollywood films for answers to these pertinent questions. It is now time to look at the sources of Islam and its history to determine whether Islam does indeed advocate violence. Sanctity of Human Life Sanctity of Human Life in the Glorious Qur'an The Glorious Qur'an says, Take not life which God hath made sacred, except by way of justice and law. Thus doth he command you, that you may learn wisdom. Al-Qur'an, chapter 6, verse 151. Islam considers all life forms as sacred. However, the sanctity of human life is accorded a special place. The first and the foremost basic right of a human being is the right to live. The The Qur'an, or the glorious Qur'an, says, If anyone slew a person, meaning if anyone killed a person, Unless it be for murder or for spreading mischief in the land, it would be as if he slew or killed the whole people. And if any one saved a life, it would be as if he saved the life of the whole people. Al-Quran chapter 5 verse 32 Such is the value of a single human life that the Qur'an equates the taking of even one human life unjustly with killing all of humanity. Thus, the Qur'an prohibits homicide in clear terms. The taking of a criminal's life by the state in order to administer justice is required to uphold the rule of law and the peace and security of the society. Only A proper and competent court can decide whether an individual has forfeited his right to live or to life by disregarding the right 
to life and peace of other human beings. Again, I will repeat this, only a proper and competent court can decide whether an individual has forfeited his right to life by disregarding the right to life and peace of other human beings. Ethics of War Even in a state of war, Islam enjoins that one deals with the enemy nobly on the battlefield. Islam has drawn a clear line of distinction between the combatants and the or the non-combatants of the enemy country. As far as the non-combatant population is concerned, such as women, children, the old and the infirm, etc., the instructions of the Prophet are as follows, and they are very clear. Do not kill any old person, any child or any woman. Do not kill the monks in monasteries, or do not kill the people who are sitting in the places of worship. During a war, the Prophet saw the corpse of a woman lying on the ground and observed, and he said, She was not fighting. How then she came to be killed? Thus, non-combatants are guaranteed security of life, even if, if their state is at war with an Islamic state. Misconceptions about the word jihad while Islam in general is misunderstood in the Western world, perhaps no other Islamic term evokes such strong reactions as the word jihad. The term jihad has been much abused to conjure up bizarre images of violent Muslims forcing people to submit at the point of the sword. This is how it is portrayed. This myth was perpetuated throughout the centuries of mistrust during and after the Crusades. Unfortunately, it survives to this day, this image. The word jihad comes from the root word jahada, which means to struggle. So jihad is literally an act of struggling or striving. The Prophet Muhammad, may the blessing and peace be upon him, said that the greatest jihad or the greatest struggle or strife is to struggle with the insidious suggestions of one's own soul. Thus, jihad primarily refers to the inner struggle of being a person of virtue and submission to God in all aspects of life. Secondly, jihad it refers to struggle against injustice. Islam, like many other religions, allows for armed self-defense or retribution against tyranny, exploitation, and oppression. The glorious Quran says, And why should you not fight in the cause of God and of those who, being weak, are ill-treated and oppressed? Men, women, and children, whose cry is, Our Lord, rescue us from this town, whose people are oppressors, and raise for us from thee one who will protect, and raise for us from thee one who will help. The Quran, chapter 4, verse 75. Thus, Islam 
enjoins upon its believers to strive utmost in purifying themselves as well as in establishing peace and justice in the society. As a Muslim, uh, sorry, a Muslim, a Muslim can never be at rest when she uh, or he sees injustice and oppression around her or around him. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Islam enjoins upon all Muslims to work actively to maintain the balance in which God created everything. However, regardless of how legitimate the cause may be, the glorious Quran never condones the killing of innocent people. Terrorizing the civilian population can never be termed as jihad and can never be reconciled with the teachings of Islam. History of Tolerance Even Western scholars have repudiated, have repudiated the myth of Muslims coercing others to convert. Again, even Western scholars have repudiated the myth of Muslims coercing or forcing others to convert. The great historian De Lassi O'Leary wrote, History makes it clear, however, that the legend of fanatical Muslims sweeping through the world and forcing Islam at the point of sword upon conquered races is one of the most fantastically absurd myths that historians have ever repeated. Muslims ruled Spain for roughly 800 years. During this time and up until they were finally forced out, the non-Muslims there were alive and flourishing. Additionally, Christian and Jewish minorities had survived in the Muslim lands of the Middle East for centuries. Additionally, Christian and Jewish minorities have survived in the Muslim lands for the, uh, of the Middle East for centuries. Countries such as Egypt, Morocco, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan all have significant Christian and or Jewish populations. This is not surprising to a Muslim, for his faith prohibits him from forcing others to, th- to see his point of view. The glorious Quran says, Let there be no compulsion in religion. Let there be no compulsion in religion. Truth stands out clear from error. Whoever rejects evil and believes in God hath grasped the most trustworthy handhold that never breaks. And God heareth and knoweth all things. Al-Quran chapter 2 verse 256. Islam, the great unifier, the great unifier. Far from being a militant dogma, Islam is a way of life that transcends race and ethnicity. The glorious Quran repeatedly reminds us of our common origin. O mankind, we created you from a single pair of a male and a female, and made you into nations and tribes that you may know each other, not that you may despise each other. Verily, the most honored of you in the sight of God is he who is the most righteous of you. And God has full knowledge 
and is well acquainted with all things. Al-Quran chapter 49 verse 13. Thus it is the universality, thus it is the universality of its teachings and that makes Islam uh, the fastest growing religion in the world. So it is the universality of its teachings that makes Islam the fastest growing, growing religion in the world. In a world full of conflicts and deep schisms between human beings, a world that is threatened by terrorism, perpetrated by individuals and states, Islam is a beacon of light that offers hope for the future for all. Alhamdulillah, praise be to Allah. You may refer to this book or other books in guidetoislam.com. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Moving to public speaking confidence. When delivering a presentation, it will be during the few minutes before you start where your public speaking confidence will take a hit as any nerves or anxiety reach their peak. These were the moments when I used to experience every single known symptom of public speaking nerves. Let me share with you some ways that helped me to lose and reduce those feelings of extreme anxiety I'd always experienced so you can build and maintain your public speaking confidence. When you're speaking in a large room, take the opportunity before you're introduced to stand up and walk to the back. The opportunity to move before speaking it gives you the chance to loosen up and ensure your legs haven't gone to sleep. Moving around will also help you to burn off nervous energy. Moving around will also help you to burn off nervous energy, which is all part of the process of getting ready for your presentation. A seat towards the back of the room is ideal as you won't draw any attention from those attending the meeting as you stand up in advance of your speech. When introduced as the next speaker, or it's your turn to speak, the longer walk from the back of the room to the speaking area will give you another opportunity to use up some nervous energy, loosen up and focus your mind. While is easy to execute, this is such an effective action to help you feel ready for your presentation. About the author, Andy Sullivan, Andy O. Sullivan is an international best-selling author of five books on public speaking, pitching, and presenting. Andy is a speaker and educator on the subject of how to survive and thrive in the business world with effective public speaking, pitching, and presentation skills. To lose your public speaking fears and discover time-tested tips to your presentation success, simply book your free session with Andy uh, as soon as possible. I would advise you to buy his books, his five books. Thanks a lot. Take care. Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah.